Good morning again. Thanks for joining us here at Prairie View Christian Church. For just a moment, try and put yourself in Daniel's sandals. The year is 605 BC. You're only a teenager, and you've just been taken from your home in Jerusalem to the strange land of Babylon against your will. Now, it's true that the Babylonians had basically already been in charge for some time now. King Jehoiakim in Jerusalem was really just a figurehead and a wicked one at that. But now Babylon has gotten more aggressive. King Nebuchadnezzar has attacked your nation, taken some of the sacred objects from the temple, and worst of all, exiled you and others from everything you've ever known and loved. In an utterly devastating situation like this, you may have some big existential questions on your mind. Questions like, why me? I mean, I'm a child of Abraham. I'm a descendant of Hezekiah, one of the few decent kings of Judah. This isn't supposed to happen to someone like me. And even more than that, you may be asking, didn't God give his people our land? Wasn't the temple his dwelling place? How in the world, then, could he let us end up here? And perhaps on an even grander scale, a disaster like this may leave Daniel wondering, is God really as faithful, as reliable, as trustworthy as I thought he was? But it's not just existential questions about God's faithfulness that may be troubling Daniel. There are practical questions as well. Questions like, how can I be faithful to God as I live in this foreign land? How can Daniel remember his identity and fulfill his calling as one of God's people when he's surrounded by those who are not? What does it look like for Daniel to be faithful to God in less than ideal circumstances? What does faithfulness look like when one is forcibly taken from God's city, Jerusalem, and put down in Nebuchadnezzar's city, Babylon? These two big questions, whether or not God is faithful to his people, And how God's people can live faithfully to him in the face of opposition. Those questions don't just matter to Daniel. They matter to us. When we experience our own times of shock, trauma, and suffering, is God still faithful then? And when Christians like us find ourselves surrounded by unbelievers... How can we still live faithfully to God? Those are the two main questions we'll be wrestling with this morning and in the coming weeks as we read the book of Daniel. So open up to Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. Feel free to use one of our Bibles if you didn't bring one, and take a Bible home if you don't own one. But before we go further, let's pray.
Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for your spirit who lives within us. Thank you for your word that we get to read. Thank you for your church that sinners like us have been welcomed into your family, uh, that we've been grafted into your family tree. Thank you not just for this church, this group of people, these bricks and bits of mortar, but thank you for believers across time and across space, our brothers and sisters in Christ we don't even know and may not even meet the side of heaven. Uh, I pray that you would watch over your church, help your church be faithful in a world that has fallen. And Lord, I pray that you would watch over us as we look back on changes, like Rick mentioned. And thank you, Lord, that you are unchanging. Uh, Thank you that through catastrophic events, whether it's a pandemic or whether it's a terrorist attack of 21 years ago, thank you that you remain the same. And Lord, I pray that you would help us be faithful to you as we live in a changing world. I pray that we would be obedient, that we would be holy as you call us to be and as you enable us to be by your spirit's power. Lord, help us live as people who have been redeemed by the body and blood of Christ, because that's who we are. And Lord, help us be attentive to your word as we hear it, whether it's New Testament or Old Testament, whether it's a prophet or a letter or a story, whatever it is, Lord, help us be attentive to your word, knowing that you use your word to shape us and change us and form us and grow us in holiness. And I pray that would be true today. We love you. We worship you. We ask this all in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Let's read in Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand and some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, it's another name for Babylon, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding learning, And competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans were the elites of Babylonian society. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. Babylon was the latest, greatest pagan superpower around 605 B.C., Some decades earlier, that title belonged to Assyria, 
They're the nation that exiled the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 B.C. But now Babylon has attacked and begun exiling the southern kingdom of Judah. That's where Jerusalem is. That's where Daniel lived. And when the Babylonians marched into God's temple, took his sacred vessels and went home unscathed, bringing people like Daniel with them. Some may have assumed that Israel's God wasn't so powerful after all. Maybe Babylon's God was a little better. But then look at verse 2. The Lord gave Jerusalem's king. He gave the temple vessels. He gave the people of Israel into Babylon's hand. Nebuchadnezzar, his army, and his gods didn't take anything. Rather, it was given to them by the one true God. We'll come back to that in a few moments. But for now, let's turn our attention to Daniel. I'm sure what he went through was disorienting, was brutal, and was traumatic in the fullest sense of the word. I don't mean to minimize any of that. But just hear me out on this. There could be some silver linings here. I mean, Daniel comes from a great family. He's got his whole life ahead of him. He's good looking, he's talented, he's smart, and he will soon be given the finest education, food, and wine that Babylon has to offer. And when you think about it that way, if Daniel plays his cards right, if he jumps through the hoops, if he keeps his head down, if he doesn't rock the boat, this exile might not be the end for him. He can carve out a pretty good life in Babylon. Sure, he may never see his home again. And yes, he'll have to abandon his family, his culture, his traditions, his faith, and even his own name. But if Daniel wants it, he can take the lemons that he's been given and make lemonade. The same is true for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So then, what will these young men do? Look at verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear, my lord, the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who were of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. 
At the end of ten days, it was seen that they were in better appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Well, as it turns out, Daniel is not the go-along-to-get-along type. He's a man of conviction, courage, and most importantly, faith. In this act of protest against the king's meat and wine, Daniel is really sticking his neck out there, isn't he? He's not just risking a bit of hunger. He's risking his good standing with the eunuchs in charge of his training. He's not just missing out on some well-aged Chardonnay. He's risking his future career in the palace. Daniel may be getting the royal treatment now, but if this protest goes wrong, he could be treated more like a prisoner of war. There's a lot at stake in this decision. But Daniel has lines that he simply will not. Lines that he cannot cross. He will not do something he considers to be a sin against God. Defiling himself with the king's meat and wine. Just for the sake of staying in Babylon's good graces. Now thankfully the eunuch showed favor and compassion to Daniel. He agreed to their revised diet, and God provides for Daniel and his friends. In fact, their health doesn't suffer. Their good standing before the eunuchs remains. They impress the king, and they begin their rise through the As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, He found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. As the people of Judah saw their city stormed, their temple robbed, their land subjected, and their descendants exiled, They likely wondered if God was really as faithful, as reliable, as trustworthy as he said he was. Now it's worth remembering that God had warned Israel time and time and time again that this thing would happen if they persisted in their sin. The suffering they're experiencing isn't just bad luck. God didn't fall asleep on the job. It's a form of his righteous judgment. Sadly, they never took God all that seriously. They didn't think he would be so mean 
over a few harmless little idols. But God's warnings were not empty threats. Judah's sin found them out, just like it did their neighbors up north. And now it appears that God's patience, grace, and love have finally run out. Or has it? Daniel's story tells us that the answer is no. That brings us back to our first big question from the book of Daniel. Is God still faithful to his people? When the you-know-what hits the fan, when everything around us appears to be crumbling, when it seems like God has finally given up on us once and for all, and we are finally irredeemable, he remains faithful. Remember verse 1. God gave the city. He gave the temple. He gave the people to Nebuchadnezzar. He didn't take anything. Even then, God was still in control. He's sovereign. And even after all their sin, which if you want to see just how stubborn, how wicked, how perverted it was, read the book of Judges through 2 Kings. Even after all of that, God doesn't destroy his people. Yeah, he disciplines them, as he said he would do. But he doesn't destroy them. He's gracious. And even after all the loss that Daniel has endured, he still sees God's generosity. God's the one who gives Daniel and his friends favor in the sight of the eunuchs. God's the one who miraculously provides for them even as they starve compared to their peers. He's generous. One of the mistakes we may make when we read this book is to make it all about Daniel's faithfulness to the point of turning it into hero worship. Now, don't get me wrong. Daniel's faithful example is an incredibly important part of this book, and we can and we should and we will learn from it. But don't forget that this story is not only about Daniel's faithfulness. It's about God's faithfulness. But that brings us back to our second big question from the book of Daniel. How can God's people be faithful to him when all the cards are stacked against us? Daniel went from one atmosphere, Jerusalem, that wasn't perfect, but was still very conducive to him openly practicing his faith. He went from that to another atmosphere, Babylon, where he faced immense temptation To not practice his faith openly. Daniel was subjected to extreme pressure. Both positive and negative. To abandon his God-given identity and calling. And instead conform to Babylon. Being a good Babylonian. Meant the best food. The best wine. 
that money could buy. And if Daniel wasn't willing to be a good company man, he could have blown his last chance for a decent life in Babylon. It's only thanks to God that Daniel's conviction, courage, and faith didn't lead to terrible suffering. At least not yet. Daniel had lines he was not willing to cross at great personal risk. He was not willing to compromise his identity and his calling as one of God's people just to get ahead in Babylon. In that way, he's an example of faithfulness that we would all do well to imitate. And while we should be careful not to over-equate our situation to Daniel's, Because after all, I don't think any of us has been forcibly taken from our homes and brainwashed according to non-Christian teachings. We can and we should still find Daniel's situation to be very instructive. Many Christians have compared the United States to a new Jerusalem. And while that history is probably a bit overblown... Our nation may have never been as truly Christian as we like to imagine. It's been generally pretty conducive to openly practicing the Christian faith. But with time, our society can look less and less like Jerusalem and more and more like Babylon. Christians who actually take our faith seriously may be in the minority. And we face temptation and pressure to compromise what we believe and what we do for the sake of staying in our culture's good graces. For the first time in most of our lives, refusing to bend our faith to conform to the world around us may actually cost us something. Socially, economically, or even physically. And because of that, we need Daniel's example to inspire us to be faithful. In the words of Martin Luther, the first chapter sets before us a fine example of the life of Daniel. How holy, how God-fearing he was, and what a great and courageous faith in God he had. In the midst of such wild and barbaric living, And the many dreadful aggravations that he had to have seen and heard daily in Babylon, he still remained firm and patient, having overcome everything in his heart. For this reason, soon afterwards, it follows that God shows such great mercy to him. At first, honoring him spiritually with wisdom and understanding above all other people. And then God exalts him in the world doing nothing but mighty and great miracles and works through Daniel. In doing this, God shows us all how dearly he loves and values those who fear him and trust in him. With such a great example, he amicably calls us to fear of God and faith in God. So again, what questions does the book of Daniel answer for us? First, is God faithful to his people? The answer is a resounding yes. Even after heinous sin 
in the midst of a powerless city, a ransacked temple, and an exiled nation, God is faithful. And second, how can God's people live faithfully to him? Well, Daniel gives us an example to teach us, challenge us, and encourage us. Again, this will require God's help. A kind of courage, conviction, faith, and endurance that only he can give. He gave it to Daniel. He gave it to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. May he give it to us as well. But as we close, let's zoom out even farther. God's faithfulness goes beyond the book of Daniel. It goes beyond the nation of Israel. And it goes beyond the Old Testament. We see God's faithfulness in the entire story of Scripture. The story that we play a part in, whether we realize it or not. We see God's faithfulness to sinful men and women from all nations, languages, and periods of history. We see it in God's promise to the rebellious Adam and Eve that one day a deliverer would come to crush the serpent's head and deal with sin. After our rebellion, God disciplined humanity. But he didn't destroy us. And in the ultimate act of grace, God became like us in the person of Jesus Christ to redeem us through his body and blood. God is faithful. We aren't always faithful. But thanks be to God that there is more to the story. It involves a perfect life, a sacrificial death, a triumphant resurrection, a glorious ascension, and a promised return. Jesus is the ultimate proof of God's faithfulness. And by God's power, may we be counted among the faithful as well. Even as we walk the streets of a fallen land that is far from him. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to be here with siblings in Christ, to be here with friends, to be here with fellow servants of your kingdom, to be here with new faces. And thank you for the opportunity to sing and pray and hear from your word. And I pray that our faithfulness to you wouldn't just be seen in an hour and 15 minutes, one day a week. But I pray that our faithfulness to whoever's watching, whether it costs us something, whether it costs us nothing, whether we're praised for our faithfulness or whether we're reviled for our faithfulness, I pray that we would be faithful to you. Give us the kind of courage, the kind of conviction, the kind of faith that that will require of us, that we can't muster up by our own blood, sweat and tears or wills. I pray that you would give us that conviction, that courage, that faith. Give us that endurance. Give us that boldness to be faithful to you no matter what comes next. 
I pray that we would shine as lights in a dark world, that we would be salt in a world that is rotting and deteriorating. I pray that we'd be faithful to you in all the places that you send us. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you that you were faithful, you are faithful, you will be faithful. And even when we fall, even when we stumble, even when we miss the mark, your faithfulness sustains us, your faithfulness gives us hope, your faithfulness saves us. So Lord, thank you that you were faithful to your mission. You were faithful to the Father, all the way to the cross. And that by faith in you, we have the same victory that that you got. Again, help us be your people in this world, even as it changes, even as it seems far from you, even as it seems unrecognizable to some of us. I pray that we'd be faithful to you no matter what. We love you. We worship you. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. We ask this all in Christ's name.